Let us now turn to Luke chapter 2. This morning we're going to complete uh, this Advent sermon series that I entitled the Songs of Emmanuel's Incarnation. And two weeks ago, if you recall, we looked at Mary's song and looked at the disruption of the incarnation. Last week we looked at Zachariah's song and the hope of the incarnation. This morning we're going to look at a song that took place after the birth of Jesus, but nevertheless, part of Luke's birth narrative, this is the song of Simeon and the mission. We're going to see, look at the mission of the incarnation. So follow along now as I read from Luke chapter 2, verses 27 to 34. This is God's word. And he, that is Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that is Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. We'll end it right there. This is God's holy word. Will you pray with me one more time? Heavenly Father, we we do now come to this, your word, and we ask that you might speak to us. However we have come into this place this morning, however however we find ourselves this morning, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, may we know Jesus afresh, anew, that you come and meet us exactly and right where we are, that you don't require us to get all cleaned up and perfect. You are the one that actually does that for us. You invite us, you come to us, you come near to us, just as we are. So Jesus, we pray that we might see and hear from you, just as we are this morning. By this, your word, we pray for your sake. Amen. You know, there is something about watching, experiencing, being a part of the birth of a human being that is inspiring and captivating. It can be an awe-inspiring experience just to be around a newborn baby. To be part of that process is even more so. With, With the subsequent birth of each of my three sons, I got a little braver each time in my participation in the process. (laughs) I was mainly a cheerleader, if you can call me that. I'm not sure I was, I didn't know what the heck was going on in the first one. But at best, I was a cheerleader for my first son's birth. Just a kind of a, a spectator in the room watching the birth of this new human being. I was supposed to, I think I had some kind of responsibility to help Jen breathe and stay focused but my part was pretty much insignificant. (laughs) With our our second, however, the doctor actually looks at me as my son Walt is coming in this world 
and looks at me and asks if I want to be the one to cut the umbilical cord. So I did it. I got up the nerve. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. So I, I, got, I got to cut the, the umbilical cord of my second son. With our third, I'm feeling more confident. <laughs> the doctor asked, would you like to catch your son? I am proud to say I am the very first human being to hold my son as he came into the world, as I caught him. The doctor was right there the whole time. Nurses were right there. But I got to catch my son as he came into the world. Each time I, my reaction was still awe-inspired. <laughs> the event of seeing each of those little human beings enter the world, even to hold my newborn baby in my arms each time, maybe not right at birth, but at some point did not disappoint What we witness here in this passage, however, is an encounter with the baby Jesus that is radically different from most people's experience with a newborn baby, as awe-inspiring as it can be. In fact, this interaction with this baby completely alters everything for this man named Simeon. Simeon was a man that we are told that was like Mary and Zechariah in that he was a faithful follower of Yahweh. He loved God. He knew God loved him. We're also told that he was waiting with expectant hope for God to finally bring comfort and consolation to him and the rest of his people who, even though they were all back in their homeland after many years of exile, they were still under foreign and cruel and oppressive Rule Simeon was still hanging on to hope. And in addition, Simeon had somehow been given the assurance from God through his spirit that he would not die until he had actually seen the Messiah with his own eyes that God had promised. And here we encounter him in the temple. As Mary and Joseph arrive with the baby Jesus, 40 days after his birth, following God's commands. And Simeon is beside himself because God's Holy Spirit has indicated to him that this baby, (laughs) this Jesus of Nazareth, is in fact the one that he and all of Israel had been waiting for. And so when Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms, He was completely fulfilled in every way about his life and was so extraordinarily and consequentially moved by the experience that it caused him to respond by saying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Or to translate perhaps into our modern English, No more do I need to see or experience in this life. I have lived my life to the full. I am fully satisfied. I'm even ready to die as I am fully at peace. Simeon had found what his soul had been ultimately longing and waiting for. There might not be a better way, in fact, to describe what it looks like 
to come to Jesus and to embrace Jesus in saving, transformative faith and to be able to say, you know, no more do I need to see or know. After embracing Jesus, I have found what my heart has longed for. I am fully satisfied. I am fully at peace. Can you say that this morning? (laughs) That you are right now fully at peace and rest this morning. And if not, why not? It's actually a very helpful and healthy question to ask ourselves as Jesus' disciples from time to time to see what in our lives might just be keeping us from being fully at rest and fully at peace simply by knowing Jesus by faith. Simeon's reaction here, in fact, demonstrates that Emmanuel's incarnation is both disruptive and hopeful at the very same time. But his reaction demonstrates there's more about Emmanuel's incarnation. Listen again to verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. And then he spells out the full extent of what that will look like a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to our people, Israel. Prior to the song, Mary and Joseph and Zechariah were already told that the Messiah was coming for the redemption of his people, Israel. Gabriel said specifically, he will save his people from their sins. Gabriel said specifically, he will sit on his father's Father David's throne as the Jewish king, as the king of Israel. But Simeon's song, his theology goes even further. Simeon's song is not only about Jesus' mission to secure salvation for God's people, Israel. He recognizes that the blessing of this baby's birth will in fact benefit the whole world. The Gentiles, even (laughs) all the other nations. When he refers to this baby Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. My friends, in fact, if you are here this morning and not from Jewish descent, (laughs) you are living proof that this is true. (laughs) Simeon shows that he knows his Bible. He knows the prophecies. You see, he gets this language, light of the world, light to the Gentiles, light for the nations from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapters 42, 49, 52, and 60, in the section known as the servant songs of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah refers to the one who is to come as a light for the nations. Simeon is now proclaiming that this Jesus is the one who, yes, he's come to be the king of Israel. He's come to save his his people from their sins, but he is also the light for the world. Now, it's important that we pause just a moment and ask, exactly what kind of light is this? (laughs) 
And after all, there's many types of light. And light can serve all sorts of purposes and have all sorts of effects on things. Maybe this, maybe Isaiah has in mind and Simeon has in mind, this is an interrogating light one might experience when they're under investigation and are accused of a crime. Imagine that dark room in a spotlight. Sure, in some sense, Emmanuel's incarnation is an indictment against us as sinful human beings. That part's true. Or maybe this light is the type that scatters the bugs and the little creatures when you turn on the light in the middle of the night. Maybe people will be afraid of this light because their deeds are exposed. And certainly there's a very real sense in which the light of God's truth exposes the evil deeds of us human beings. But that's not the context of how Isaiah used his language of the light of the world. And therefore, it's not what Simeon means as he describes the baby Jesus as the light of the world. When Isaiah speaks of God's servant coming to be a light for the nations, a light for the world, the emphasis is always on being a blessing to the nations. In chapter 60, he specifically says that the nations are actually going to come to this light. They're going to want to come to this light. And that all makes sense because from the very beginning, God's covenantal promise to Abraham from the very beginning was that he and his descendants would be blessed in order to, for the purpose of being a blessing to others. Now, we don't have time to read all of Isaiah's passages about the one who will be the light of the world, but let me just read a portion of one of them from Isaiah 42. There we read, Behold my servant, <clears throat> whom I, this is God, Yahweh speaking, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice throughout the whole earth. Thus says the God, Thus says God, Yahweh, I am the Lord. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. The one in whom God delights will bring forth justice to the nations in a way that doesn't break the reed. <laughs> in other words, blessed to be a blessing. What a beautiful picture of how the servant, how the Messiah, how Emmanuel incarnate is coming to be a light to the world. This was Jesus' entire ministry, his life. He demonstrated what it looked like to be the light to the world, how he interacts with others, how he even comes in altogether, laying his glory aside. 
He comes near. He enters in. God doesn't send a message and say, stay safely back at a distance. (laughs) This is more than just a brief encounter or interaction. He sends himself. He brings himself. He himself comes and enters into the darkness and the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world in order to be a light that others are drawn to. He enters in. He comes close. There's a quote in the uh, Da Vinci Code movie where in an attempt to discredit the process of the forming of the canon of Scripture, Dan Brown's main protagonist says, well, you know, God didn't exactly fax it in, it being the compilation of the Bible. It's kind of a snarky attempt at trying to undermine the legitimacy of the founding and compilation of the Bible. Now, as staggering as the church's claim is that God actually moved and worked through his Holy Spirit to see to it that certain books were compiled in what we now call our Bibles, Christianity actually claims something far more astonishing than just that. (laughs) The far more astonishing claim of Christianity is that God himself actually took on flesh and became human and dwelt among us. We sang it earlier. (laughs) The word of the Father now in flesh appearing. The infinite became finite. The creator shared table fellowship with those he created. God became man, and in doing so was subjected to all the complexities and difficulties and brokenness of this world. Hebrews says he was tempted and tried in every way that you and I are, and without sin. He became like those he came to save. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel incarnate, knew experientially our experience in this fallen world. The highs, the lows, the bad, the good, the celebrations, the hardships. Jesus experientially knew them all. He did not stay at a distance, but he moved in. And he gets what you and I go through in this life. When truly grasped, when truly embraced, the doctrine of the incarnation is an astonishing doctrine to comprehend (laughs) that only the coldest and hardest heart can remain unmoved by. But there's also something else about the mission connected to Emmanuel's incarnation that is also astonishing. In Matthew 5, this one, Jesus, who is the light of the world, himself looks to his disciples and says this, you... (laughs) are the light of the world. 
the light of the world, says to his followers, you are the light of the world. Isaiah prophesied that the servant of God would be the light of the world. That would be part of his mission. But here in Matthew, at the beginning of laying out his picture of what life is to look like in Matthew 5, Jesus explains that under his good reign, among his people, this is what it looks like to model me, to follow me. In doing so, you will be the light of the world. I share my ministry with you. <laughs> now, most Christians can probably quote that passage from Matthew and recognize it very readily. But the way we sometimes talk about what that means, it's as if Jesus only said what he did in verses 14 and 15 and never got to verse 16. <laughs> verses 14 and 15 are, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. But Jesus continues in verse 16. And there he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to my Father in heaven. What an astonishing thing for Jesus to say to his disciples that he will actually commandeer our acts. The way we go through life, as we follow him as his disciples, he will actually commandeer into his purposes to be the savior of the nations so that others may come and give glory to his father. Now, quickly, can we just say a good couple of things about these good works? <laughs> First of all, let's just note, Jesus is not in any way encouraging us to engage in good work to somehow earn our salvation. Let's just get that off the table. <laughs> As good Reformed folk that we are, our, our antennas do, do go up anytime we hear talk about good works. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's talking to people that are already his disciples. He's saying, this is what it looks like to follow me. Secondly, as we already noted, Jesus is saying this at the start of his famous Sermon on the Mount. And so he himself has very specific examples of what this looks like, what types of good works he actually has in mind. And so we do well to follow Jesus' own teaching on what it looks like rather than to come up with man-made good works that we live before the rest of the world. Starting with the Beatitudes. And working our way through. But finally, and most importantly, and this is the part I think that we often don't, we forget or we don't recognize, is that the word here, light, because our English translation doesn't do this for us. The word here, light, you are the light of the world, is singular. But the word for let your light is plural. In other words, the southern rendering of what Jesus is saying here would be, let y'all's light. <laughs> Not a bunch of individual silo lights out there. Jesus is saying, let y'all's collective 
as a community of faith, let y'all's light shine before men that they see you following me and give glory to my Father in heaven. Example of what this looks like is found in John 3, 16 and 17 because Jesus is talking about something that's done in community among and with other disciples. It's a way of modeling the way Jesus himself was light in the world. In John three sixteen, he says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. <laughs> he loved the world and therefore he gave his son. And he can, John continues, the apostle continues. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but with the goal of that the world might be saved. That's our example. That's our example. Far from sitting back and safely critiquing the world at a safe distance, we're actually called and to follow Jesus by collectively entering into this world and into relationships with those who don't currently believe the way we do. To be the light of the world means engaging close enough with others that they actually see the light and they can be drawn into the light. And so to be in the world and not of it. Be in the world, not of it. Paul could have easily said, don't be of the world and be done with it. That's the part we usually focus on. Be in the world, but not of it. Be my disciples as you're in the world. (laughs) Follow me as you're my light into the world. Growing up in Queens, my boys were often one of only a couple of Caucasians in their class in school. <laughs> in fact, I, I'm, sure most, I'm sure that most of their years, all three of them, they were probably the only Caucasian in their class. And certainly, they would have been one of only a few people coming from a distinctly Christian home. One of my sons had a close friend who was actually Muslim. And several years ago, as his friend's family was about to enter into Ramadan, and he knew his friend was going to be fasting for several weeks, on his own, my son on his own initiative, offered to his friend to simultaneously be fasting and praying as a way to empathize with what his friend was going through. When he told me about the idea, he was quick to point out, don't worry, Dad, I'm going to be praying to Jesus the whole time. I'm not praying to Allah, I'm praying to Jesus. <laughs> now, at the end of that season, my family was getting ready to celebrate Easter. And my son goes back to his friend and asks, would he be willing to come with him to the Easter service that he was going to celebrate? And, of course, my friend was ready to oblige. <laughs> And so he did. He agreed. <clears throat> it was the first time my son's friend had ever been in a Christian worship service. It was the first time he'd ever been in, on the inside of a church at all. <laughs> and what an amazing time to hear the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. As others are celebrating, not just the life and death, but the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And then further, we had 
even further interaction with him, he, he came to lunch with us afterwards. And we had further inter- interaction with him about the service, about the message that was preached. It was certainly an outside-of-the-box way of my son seeking to shine the light of the gospel in the direction of his friend. He was out of the box. (laughs) My friends, if Emmanuel's incarnation shows us anything, it's that his way as the light of the world is way outside of the box. (laughs) God becoming flesh. (laughs) No human could have possibly thought up this story. (laughs) This was God's way. His redeeming story that he wrote, that he created, that he fulfilled, that you and I sitting here this morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are by faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you are the beneficiary of. And that's going to mean, that hopefully will mean, that the more you and I are astonished as we embrace Even during this season, Emmanuel incarnate, may we be renewed once again of all that our Savior, Jesus, the light of the world, has done for us that we might in turn be encouraged and fueled and motivated to turn around to those around us, to seek out others' relationships that God's already providentially placed you in in your neighborhood at work elsewhere, clubs, organizations, to be a light right here in Palm Bay as a congregation of New City. May that be continuously on the forefront of our thoughts, our posture towards this city, to be the light of the world, following Jesus as his disciples and the way he models what that looks like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we admit that there are so many good things that we are involved in, even at this time of the season, that we, it is possible to, at the end of this season, to be unmoved by the wonder of Emmanuel's incarnation, God with us, God coming near. Jesus, may, not, may that not be the case. May you, I pray, may you renew within us a new sense of wonder of all the ways that you have gone out of the way to save us, coming near, being with us, dwelling among us, not loving us, not saving us at a distance, but actually entering in. Jesus, may that be the model, I pray, for how we as a congregation, as we look out into the world, as we look into the city of Palm Bay, may that be our model for how we seek to be a part of what you are doing, Jesus, in making all things new, starting right here in Palm Bay. We pray these things for your sake. Amen.